Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for this second hour for making this show economically viable. They are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Eurasian Minerals, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. And I might just mention that we will be uh, speaking to the CEO of Aravista Gold later in the show at about uh, at about 4.30 New York time today. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me again Alistair McLeod, who writes uh, for Gold Money and has a very extensive background in the financial and commodity markets. And Alistair has been on this show in the past, so if you would like to know more about his uh, more more specifics about his background, but you can certainly go to the Voice America website and uh, pull down uh, pull down our our page on the Voice America website, and there you can get uh, Alistair's uh, bio as well. Welcome, Alistair. Uh, welcome once again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. That's my pleasure, Jay. Really good to have you again. Uh, I want to uh, sort of focus our attention today on an article you wrote on December 10th for gold money titled Gold Futures Market Heading for Crisis. 
And your article also addressed silver. In fact, I believe uh, you made it quite clear that you're much more concerned about the uh, the chaos that might be facing the silver markets than in the gold markets. But uh, I, I want to maybe start out by talking about what you're seeing in the gold markets now. Uh, to I might just start before we get into that to note that today the markets uh, gold was hit really hard. Uh, it was down maybe about forty bucks, and and silver was down to. Uh, uh, I was down around 72 cents earlier today to 430. No, let's see. Silver is about 31.66 right now. I think something like that. Uh, anything uh, special going on today that might account for the move? Well, I think that's the extraordinary thing. There is absolutely nothing special at all, uh, which tells me that it is purely. I think, in the words of the, <laughs> uh, in the, in the jargon, technical. Um, but more specifically, um, the, the, the point I made in my article, uh, which you kindly referred to, is that there are some very, very large short positions in that market. And indeed, the pricing is, uh, of silver is, is actually made by the shorts. Uh, they're the people who move the, the, the market around. And uh, the, w it's, the way you make money uh, as a market maker, which is essentially uh, what these people are, you know, they, they, they are making the price, so they are the market makers in that sense, uh, is that you know where the shorts, uh, sorry, where, where the longs are um, because you've sold them the stock. Uh, and you also know in a geared market, such as a futures market, that the longs will put in stops. So it's, it's, it's actually uh, very, very simple to work out once uh, a few longs have got their positions in, how much you've got to bang the market to get them to sell the stock back to you at a profit. And that's uh -huh. what goes on all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, anyone who, um, you know, seriously goes into the futures market with the idea of speculating to make a profit on a geared basis has got to be as dumb as anything. I mean, it's just so stupid because you just walk straight into the trap every time. Right. And and that's that's really how that market works. And um, uh, I think that the, the the growing numbers of people who are worried about uh, systemic risk and so on and so forth, when they look at the price being whipped around like this, are actually looking at the wrong thing. Um, they should just um, you know concentrate on their concern that uh, they're trying to protect their wealth, and they should do it in such a way that they don't get concerned by this whipping around of the price. Uh, and uh, the whole thing really is, in effect, an enormous con trick. But um, uh, at the risk of going on too much about this, um, the problem I think that the shorts have now got into is that they have got so short as a result of doing this time after time after time against a background of continual demand for the physical bullion, both in gold and silver, that their short positions, particularly in silver, now cannot be closed. So they're on a one-way trip. They've got to keep bashing it in order to try and uh, make what they can before they are led to the slaughterhouse by a rising price. So that's the extraordinary situation that the silver market is in, particularly the silver market. Yeah. Gold, is gold, gold is slightly different because the central banks uh, can bail out the bullion banks um, because they have got um, some stock. I mean, we suspect not as much as they say they have, uh, but they can supply some bullion into the market to get uh, the, any bullion bank that gets itself into trouble on the short tack um, out of trouble. 
Yeah. Well, I'd like to start with this this piece you wrote. I, I just to quote you uh, uh, the beginning of that piece you wrote on December tenth. You said, "I thought I, I had a good idea what disasters we might face in 2013." And then I saw the most recent U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission's bank participation report for gold and silver. On the basis of recent bank participation reports, these markets are heading for a crisis, which is generally unexpected, end of quote. I'd like to start out by asking you, first of all, what is the bank participation report? What is that report? And what does well, it tell us? It, it, it's a report which is produced by the exchange, uh, which shows the exposure to long and short contracts of the banks that operate in that market. Now, the banks, uh, in this case, we're talking about bullion banks. I mean, it goes across all the, you know, I mean, it does, you know, soft commodities, the whole lot. But in this particular case, we're just talking about the bullion banks and uh, their positions. They have long positions and they have short positions. Uh, they are part of what is categorized as the commercials. The other commercials, for example, are mines who will sell their production forward into the market, swap dealers, where those swap dealers are not banks, and swap dealers, by definition, are people who are hedging a position on another market, um, and also fabricators. I mean, both uh, both ways, people who need gold because you know they, they're, they're supplying, let's say, the jewelry market or something like that, um, and equally uh, refiners who take. Um, uh, silver or gold concentrate, refine it uh, and process it. And they will sell that product forward because they know how much they've got coming in. They know how long it's going to take so they mm -hmm. can sell that forward. Um, so it's, it, that is the way the market, the futures market really should work. It is mm -hmm. the mechanism whereby, um, you know, people who make their living out of producing whatever commodity it is meet speculators who are prepared to take the entrepreneurial risk off their shoulders so that, uh, you know, the, the producers, the processors and all the rest of it actually uh, can calculate their profit margins on known factors, not unknown prices in the future. Right. So, um, and, so, so if yeah, I might just sorry. interrupt for a minute, the speculators provide some liquidity in a market. The other guys are sort of what I would, what I, in my own words, would think of as the legitimate participants in the futures markets, the guys that produce the, the uh, commodity and the people that need it for their businesses and so forth, right? That is absolutely right, yes, and, and now what you're saying is it doesn't exactly work that way? It doesn't work like that, like that because we've got, this, um, we've got the interposition of banks who actually are speculators hiding under the category of commercials. So oh. the whole thing becomes a bit of a nonsense. And, of course, in order to understand the influence of these banks, you need to be able to separate them out from the other commercials. And that is what the Bank Participation Report does. Okay, so let's talk about that. Uh, you mentioned, I think, there were only five banks who made the list. And we're talking about gold now. Let's just stick to the gold to start with because I think we, yes. we want to get into silver. But you mentioned gold. Uh, first, and you said there were five banks who made the last monthly report. Can you tell us well, those banks? Sorry, that, well, we don't know the banks. Um, those, oh. are, those are the U.S. banks, by the way. Um, okay. Uh, they, the the, the non-U.S. banks, are, are uh, the number is also given, and off the top of my head, I can't quite remember what the figure but, is, but it's but something like... Us, but, but it doesn't tell us which banks they are. 
No, it doesn't. No, we don't know which banks they are. Uh, and of course, there are all sorts of rumours uh, as to who they might be. And I don't want to comment on that at all. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in the case of silver, we do know that there are less than four uh, banks. Uh, so it is, it, it is three or less in effect. Less than four is three or less. Mm -hmm. uh, U.S. banks. Uh, and meanwhile, of course, there are other bullion banks, uh, for, which are non-U.S. banks, who also participate in the market. And the bank participation report separates out the positions of the U.S. banks from the positions of the non-U.S. banks. And this is why in my uh, article, I show two separate charts, um, one of the U.S. banks and another of the non-U.S. banks, both for gold and for silver. Yes, indeed, and there was a difference in, in gold. There was a big difference, and explain that difference. I think, I think uh, you mentioned that the U.S. banks were not acting uh, seemingly in a rational way. That is, their short positions, they didn't take them off as the price of the metal went down. They just kept, kept them on or even increased them even. Well, that's right. Um, the, the U.S. banks' net short contracts uh, have increased to uh, the highest levels, um, certainly for the last two and a half years, which is as far as my records go. And this is important because uh, this very high level of short exposure occurs at a time when the market is um, – uh, it's certain, I, would, I would argue that it is actually pretty oversold. Um, uh, at very best, it's probably neutral to oversold. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it, a proper description of it would be that it is oversold. Now, when a market is oversold, you don't have lots of profit takers, uh, as you have at the top of a market, um, looking to take their profits uh, when, they've got, you know, when they think the run is over. Now, that was the situation when gold ran up to uh, over 1900, a bit over a year ago. Mm -hmm. You had quite a lot of hedge funds and others who were in there for a speculative ride. Mm -hmm. So at that time, if you were a, a large bank with unlimited resources, then the answer basically is you bang the market hard and you know you can shake these guys out, not least because you know that they've got all their stop loss orders in there. Mm -hmm. And so they're automatically autom automatic sellers uh, when the market, when the price falls. But in this situation, you don't have this very widespread um, profitable involvement by funds who um, are merely in there for the ride. We're in a situation where the fund exposure actually is pretty limited. Now, this isn't, this, we, we mustn't confuse the fund exposure that I'm talking about, which is essentially speculative, or call it investment. And by investment, I would say an investor is someone who buys something with a view to selling it at a profit at some stage in the future. Mm -hmm. um, this is very different from the demand that we have in the bullion market, which is actually not investment demand in that sense. It is basically demand because this is going to be, you know, the, the bullion that's bought leaves the market and never comes back. It goes into the ownership of people who either turn it into jewelry if they're Indian or possibly Chinese, or they put it in their bank accounts because they're frightened about what's going on with paper money. So, you know, it's, we're not talking about that form of uh, protection, if you like, insurance, hoarding, whatever you like to call it. We're talking about people who go into the futures market with a view to making a profit. Mm -hmm. Now, the point is that here we have a record net short position in the U.S. banks at a time when the people in the market on the other side 
seeking to make a profit on a trade are actually fairly limited. So it's very difficult to see how the U.S. banks um, can get out of this position without help from another source, and the other source has to be central banks. Mm -hmm. And indeed, in the past, when the gold market has got into difficulties, the central banks have obligingly bailed them out by supplying some stock. So that is the situation we're in with the U.S. banks. The uh, non-U.S. banks are slightly, um, slightly different. They were very short, but what they have done recently is they have uh, taken the opportunity to reduce their exposure quite significantly. And um, I think that exposure has effectively been picked up by the U.S. banks, uh, and that explains why their shorts are now at record levels. Well, why would the U.S. banks do that? I mean, are you saying here that if it seems to me if the U.S. banks were really playing the role of a speculator, which you say they're not, they would be they would be averse to doing that? Well, um, it, it, this it doesn't actually make an awful lot of sense, Jay, unless we start wandering into sort of conspiracy theory. And here, um, the obvious interest in all this is the central banks and particularly the western central banks who may have sold their gold at a lower level in the past and therefore be embarrassed by a price rise but very importantly do not want uh, gold to give a signal to the markets as a whole that paper currencies the fiat currencies which they're printing at the most phenomenal rate and a rate which is accelerating step by step they don't want gold to give the message that there is something wrong with paper money. So you can see that there is a vested interest for the central banks to sit on the gold price to try and keep it quiet. And, of course, their mechanisms for doing this would be the bullion banks. So if you want a conspiracy theory, I think that's a very, very handy one. And um, I think it is quite likely, but obviously we don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, the, the uh, United States is supposed to have, I don't remember what the number is, something like 261 million ounces or something like that of gold, if, if we have everything we claim we have, and if what's in the, in, the, uh, in the vaults are really owned by the United States and have not been leased out to Germany or somebody else. Uh, so you're saying the non-U.S. banks have not been, you know, they've been acting more sensibly, it seems, it's sort of more normal the way you would act in a market. Can we expect, well, I mean, who, who would come to the rescue? If the U.S. banks that are in trouble, it would have to be the Fed, right? Uh, it would have, uh, well, it would have to be the Fed um, in the case where that trouble is in the U.S. futures markets, quite mm -hmm. simply. If, on the other hand, uh, they are equally in trouble in London, then that means that the Bank of England would also be involved because it is the Bank of England that oversees the London bullion market. Yeah, do the British have any gold left? Didn't they sell most of it? Yeah, we're down to about 300 tons. It's, it's very interesting you, you, you raise that topic because um, completely out of the blue, the Bank of England has been a party, let's put it that way, a party to two PR stunts. The first one was a professor of metallurgy from Nottingham University, I think, who um, was allowed into the Bank of England vaults and did a, um, a, a, a video clip. Um, and, uh, you know, showing all the bars on their racks and how, you know, each, each um, rack had a 
ton of gold on it and all the rest of it. And as if that wasn't enough, the second um, uh, happenstance was uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth, no less, visits the vaults in the Bank of England and does exactly the same trip round. And uh, so, um, you know, just coincidentally, we see the Bank of England showing all this gold um, at a time when rumours on the continent about how Germany has um, lost all her gold to leasing, yeah. how the Austrians might have done the same, how Venezuela, we know, has taken her gold back, etc., etc. Yeah. It seems to me it's an interesting coincidence that at this time, the Bank of England has not one video, but two videos of um, uh, different people, one a professor and another, uh, the, the most senior dignitary you can imagine, uh, wandering around looking at all this gold and taking the opportunity to say there's roughly 5,000 tons of the stuff there. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. So to, so to create the image that, that everything is fine, uh, it's as good as gold, uh, the Bank of England is solid, don't worry about it, right? That's my cynical interpretation. Well, yeah. Okay, so uh, so what? who would come to the... So the Fed would come to the rescue, but... There are certainly, I mean, certainly, I think you know John Butler, who's been on this show, and John believes that we're going to be forced into some sort of, that the U.S. will be forced into some sort of uh, arrangement where, for international trade at least, there's likely to, going to be some sort of a gold-backed monetary system. Are you a buyer of that idea? Well, uh, it, I think that's difficult. Um, I, I, I cannot see central banks embracing the discipline of gold. I really cannot see that. I can't imagine the circumstances where that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. The other problem we have is that um, as a result of suppressing the gold price and also the silver price for so long, gold uh, and silver have migrated from west to east. And I first started pointing this out um, about three months ago, and I'm glad to say that a number of other people have now picked up on the theme. Mm -hmm. um, but the, 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 the strategic implications of this are very, very important to understand. Um, gold is the only internationally accepted store of value um, uh, means of facilitating transactions. It is in internationally recognized as money. Now, we forget that. But if you, get, if you plonk yourself down anywhere in Asia and you offer someone else's paper currency other than what the locals um, understand is paper money or gold, they're going to take gold every time. Sure. Um, and you're talking about uh, over three billion people um, in that position. Now, that's without you know, getting into semantics about whether in the West um, you know, gold is valid as money or not. But the fact is that the most dynamic continent – in the world, its people accepts gold is money. Mm -hmm. So, we, we, you know, we 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 have this 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 problem that there has been the transfer of wealth, as far as they're concerned, mm -hmm. into their hands, and it's come from us. You know, mm -hmm. we basically have been feeding the stuff through our central banks into the markets, and providing it to the east. So I don't know how much we've got left. But we, we, we now find ourselves in the situation, if we destroy our paper currencies, that suddenly the East, or Asia as a whole, probably has something like two-thirds of the world's gold. And how much have we got left? Not an awful lot. Mm -hmm. So 
um, you know, that's what I mean by transfer of wealth. Now, the strategic implications of this are very important because the central banks now find themselves in the situation where they have uh, supplied into the market. They haven't uh, told uh, through the IMF, the World Gold Council and other people who monitor this, uh, exactly what their true position is. Uh, and so they are in an embarrassed, embarrassing situation of not having the gold which they say they have. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, it is, you know, they have empowered, if you like, the old communist bloc. It's the most extraordinary turnaround, and it's, it's just as a result of um, very poor strategic thinking, um, which has been dominated by uh, all I can neoclassical economics, which um, you know, has really got us into uh, the trouble that, that, that we're in at the moment. Yeah, uh, it's it, it is it is an extraordinarily bad situation, and how the central banks come back from that, I really don't know. And I suspect that what they're doing is they're just sort of keeping their fingers crossed and just hoping the problem goes away, which of course it won't. Kicking the can down the road, as it were, I suppose. Uh, and, and so, what the the outcome of this has got to be at some point when the rubber hits the road, a much higher gold price, right? Uh, yes, uh, that, that, that's uh, that's the inevitable conclusion. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, when I don't know. Yeah. Um, but this is where silver comes in because yeah, the let's short talk about silver with the time yeah. we have left, Alistair, and our time is going very rapidly. I think we've only got five minutes. Maybe we can stretch okay. it into a few more. But silver is a much well, bigger problem. It's it's um, talk to us about silver. What's the situation yeah. with the banks on silver as compared to gold? Well, unlike gold, both the U.S. banks and the non-U.S. banks are heavily short. And uh, the, 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 the number of ounces between them is a short 300 million ounces. Now, to give you some context on this, global supply, and very, very round figures, is around about a billion ounces a year. Now, about 750 million ounces of that is mined silver. The rest is recycle. Uh, industrial demand is roughly 900 million ounces, so you're left with about 100 million ounces available to people for investment purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, that is all. So if you look at the short position on COMEX between the U.S. banks and the non-U.S. banks, we're talking about three years' investment supply. There is absolutely no way they can get that back. It's just not there. There is no way that no price is going to release that amount of silver. And that, I think, is where the crisis in the uh, if a crisis does come, I think that's where it is likely to arise in the precious metals markets. You were talking, I think, the numbers that I saw in your report uh, in terms of the futures market, the long silver versus the short. What sort of ratios are we talking about there? Well, yes, I mean, on the U.S. banks, that is quite, quite remarkable. Their long position on that uh, 4th of December uh, report was 625 contracts. Their shorts was 40,198. I mean, what a ratio. There's just absolutely no give in that whatsoever. Yeah. So their net short position is 39,573 contracts, which is 198 million ounces. The non-U.S. banks are slightly better off in the sense that they have got 13,928 longs. Their shorts are 32,127, meaning they're short 91 million ounces. So you put those two together, you're, you, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's just under 300 million ounces, which they have got to find in order to sell their buyers. 
So well, the people they've contracted with, sorry, the people they've already contracted uh, to through the market, people who have bought this one way or the other, are owed very, very nearly 300 million ounces by the banks. So the uh, uh, silver, unlike gold, as you pointed out, has a, has a strong industrial demand for it too, right? So yeah. at, at some point, uh, industry uses silver. Uh, is that likely to cause a problem? And, and let me ask you also, where is, I mean, if central banks don't own silver, but a lot of people own silver, and you can buy, certainly there are people at, at gold money that own silver um, that have it in their holdings, there are, um, you know, there's there are accounts like the Sprott account that you can buy silver, and I believe that Sprott uh, actually owns the silver, holds the silver. Uh, is that is that correct? That, Am I correct? Yes, that 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 is absolutely correct. But again, I would make the clear distinction that the people that you're referring to, the individuals who actually have the bullion, either in coin form or in bar form, are holding it there to protect themselves against the systemic risks which are just mounting and mounting and mounting. And it's for this reason that we have seen people buying gold and silver, even though the price of both these commodities uh, have fallen, if you like, from the highs earlier on last year. I mean, the accumulation has continued and continued, irrespective of what's happened in the paper markets. So the shortages really are there. I mean, there was a time when the, uh, when you had strategic stockpiles of silver. I think mm -hmm. the U.S. at one time had, you know, one or two billion. Those have all gone, so far as we know. There is no strategic stockpile left. I mean, if there is, there might be one in China, but the Chinese aren't going to bail out, uh, bail out uh, the U.S. futures market. That is for sure. So, um, you know, I just cannot see where this 300 million ounces is going to come from, or even just part of it to try and take the pressure off it. So you're talking about the possibility of a force majeure on the uh, on the exchange, right? Yes. Now I'm not a, 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 an expert in security, U.S. securities law, obviously, and uh -huh. I would certainly not claim to be. But um, I think I'm right in saying that within the exchange's rules, they, they, there is a, a provision whereby they can declare uh, force majeure. Now I don't know quite what this 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 effectively means, but um, I think in all logic, it would be the opportunity, perhaps, to suspend trading. Um, uh, while the problem is sorted out. And the problem will be sorted out uh, on a cash basis, uh, which means that uh, the shorts would have to pay out on a cash basis, presumably the pre-suspension of dealings price, uh, they would have to pay, pay, pay out the longs. Now, um, before that happens, obviously, um, the price of uh, silver would presumably rise very substantially to force um, the, uh, if you like, the crisis on the market. So I, I, I would have thought that um, something like a $20 jump or something like that would be the minimum that would bring this about. Right. But it's hard to imagine how individuals would, would want to let go of their silver and gold under those circumstances, uh, especially in light of, uh, of the enormous amount of money creation and debasing of the currency that we have now. And if we were to go into some sort of a hyperinflationary environment help us i don't know uh why would people unless they're forced at the point of a gun to uh, to let go of their silver and their gold well you're absolutely right i mean this comes back to why people have actually taken delivery of the physical they've taken delivery of the physical because they want insurance against the value of paper money right. going down down the 
the Swanee. So, um, you know, that's, it's, it's really a simple, these people aren't going to sell. I mean, it's not a question of, um, you know, the price is now, say, $60. So, uh, you know, stock is going to come out. There's no way. If the price goes to 60 people are going to say, gosh, I've got to have some more of this because there's a real crisis on our hands. In other right. words, a rising price uh, in this situation is likely to generate extra demand embarrassing the situation. And remember that even though uh, COMEX might suspend dealings in uh, silver futures, and uh, I mean, they would do gold futures, I guess, at the same time, because obviously, <laughs> which would be obvious, and platinum and palladium, um, uh, you're not going to get the Shanghai exchange to close down. Um, so, you know, the price is going to continue going up, I think, even over the suspension period. Now, how on earth we deal with that one, I really don't know. And it's a fundamentally different situation from the Hunt Brothers. Um, uh, um, uh, 1980. Yeah, in 1980. I mean, apart from anything else, the U.S. at that stage did have strategic reserves. Uh, and um, there came a point where, uh, with the price high enough, uh, there was enough um, speculative bubble in it, if you like, for uh, the powers that to be on COMEX to to, uh, it, you know, effectively prick the bubble by um, uh, changing the rules. And that's what that's what's happened. But this time round, uh, if you try and change the rules, I think all that happens is that you just expose the serious underlying shortages that exist and you just create buyers on the back of it. So this is this has the potential to be a crisis, I think, on the same level as the obvious ones coming up in the lift for next year, such as Europe, such as Japan, perhaps, yeah. such as the fragile um, state of the banking system as a whole, yeah. such as the fiscal cliff, uh, such as, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, increasing evidence that uh, the U.S. economy actually is beginning to, to um, start contracting again. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, a, frightening, that's a frightening thought. Uh, just one quick question. Um, James Cook was on this show a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago, suggested that in terms of uh, the potential risk of confiscation, his feeling was that silver would be less risky uh, from that perspective for an American than gold. Would you have an opinion on that? Uh, yes, I think I think that's got to be fundamentally right. Um, but I would also throw something else in. I think any government um, that tries to confiscate gold from its citizens at this stage is just going to set alarm bells ringing. Ringing. It's got to be the most stupid thing to do. Well, maybe it's All one of the reasons. Maybe it's one of the reasons they want to take guns away from Americans. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that I, I think we keep that as a separate topic. I mean, I, th 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 there is the whole genre. Let's face it, Jay. That um, you know, we're all being driven into serfdom by um, by our governments, as yeah. it were. We're losing freedom the whole time, and one of the most important freedoms which some people uh, stubbornly cling on to is that gold is money, silver is money, not the rubbish that central banks are issuing at ever increasing at an ever increasing pace. Indeed. Well, Alistair, we are out of time. You know, you uh, you also wrote recently about liberty and how we're losing the liberty. You sort of touched on that theme just a moment ago, and we'll have you back again sometime to talk about that and much more, I'm sure. Uh, thank you very much for coming on our show today. Oh, one more thing. People... If they want to buy gold and silver, they can go to Gold Money, obviously, and they can have that gold and silver platinum palladium delivered to them, right? Yeah, um, yes, and we have, um, which is probably more, more practical, 
uh, we have uh, storage uh, facilities in uh, a range of jurisdictions, so you can pick a jurisdiction which right. works for you. Right. We do Very this good. in not not in America, but we've got uh, storage facilities in Canada, uh, the UK, Switzerland, Hong Kong, and we last week we announced uh, that we now have a facility in Singapore. So you can get away from the evil Western central banks if, if that, if that is uh, what you wish to do. Okay, how to bring the money, the gold or whatever, back into the evil uh, environments that we live in is another topic for another day. Thank you very much, Alistair, for being with us once again. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Rick Adams. He is the president and CEO of Aravista Gold. That's a company with some 3 million ounces of gold in Quebec. I think a very, very undervalued situation as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back to talk to Rick Adams. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Rick Adams. He's the president and CEO of Aravista Gold. Um, for the sake of full disclosure, I should tell you that Aravista is a sponsor to this show, and uh, it is also a stock that I have purchased personally for my retirement account, and it is a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can buy Aravista Gold uh, in Canada under the symbol AVA, and you can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol ARVSF. Uh, saw it at 23 cents down here in the states, although it didn't really trade much, if at all, today. There's uh, something like I'm not sure the exact number of shares, but there's something like probably 61 million shares or so outstanding, um, and it has a market cap of 13, 14 million dollars. So, uh, for a company that has a resource uh, of uh, just around three million ounces of gold, open pitable resource. Uh, economics yet to be determined, but it uh, looks like it's a very, very undervalued stock, as many of them are these days. So it's really good to have Rick uh, with us. Rick, it's good to have you with me. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Jay. appreciate uh, the invitation. It's, uh, you know, you, you're in Quebec, which is one of the best places in the world uh, for mining. It's a mining-friendly province. It's a government that understands that mining is a basic wealth-creating industry, and it allows people to proceed. And I think in a in a very responsible manner. It's not as if they're wrecking the earth. It's uh, it's it's not as if environmentalism isn't at all present. But it's a good balance, it seems to me. Uh, you you have a very sizable resource there already. I think um, we're looking at something like 238,000 ounces. Uh, in the indicated category and 2.7 million plus in the inferred category. Is that right? That's correct, Jay. And that's using a cutoff of a, of a third of a gram per ton, I guess. Yeah, that's correct. And that's all within uh, a depth of uh, 400 meters, uh, conceptual open pit depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut it off at that because we wanted it to represent what we thought potentially uh, potentially viable for an open pit. If we didn't constrain it at depth, the resource would have been about 3.7 million ounces. 3.7 in, in all categories. Now, are you, most of this is, of course, in the inferred category. Uh, I suppose some infill drilling would would bring that up, uh, bump it up into a into a higher class. That's correct. Uh, right now, the spacing for most of the deposit it's been drilled at uh, at 200 meter centers. Mm-hmm. Um, to bring that uh, from inferred to indicated, uh, we would need to tighten that up, likely at 50 meter centers. Okay, and I think that's all determined by the scientists, the geoscientists that work with you and are the that's what we call qualified persons, and these are people that, of course, have uh, are steeped in, 
in the statistical analysis of the deposit, the nature of the deposit, and all that. It's very, what most people don't understand is that mining is, is an awful lot of science that goes into exploration, development, and mining, isn't there? That's correct. The, the, for, for our deposit, like the outline, if you will, you know, the, 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 the outline of the deposit, you know, the lengths of the ore body, the widths of the ore body, the depths of the ore body, that's quite well known. I mean, that's defined, and we've defined that by drilling. When you, for our deposit anyway, the tightening up of the drilling, what it's going to do is it's going to start enabling us to get a better handle on what the grade is. Uh, our thoughts are given the nature of our deposit, where it's this big low-grade shell, um, but within the low-grade shell, we have what our uh, VP of Exploration, Jean Lafour, calls the jewel boxes. Mm-hmm. These are these high-grade uh, areas, lenses, if you will, mm-hmm. within this lower-grade envelope. When we start to tighten up our drilling, it's our belief that we'll start to, you know, these, these jewel boxes will start to stand out more and serve to boost the overall grade of, uh, of our deposit. Mm-hmm. So doing, by boosting that grade, of course, the total ounce count should rise as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, as, as I had mentioned to you uh, when we last met, when you were here in Toronto, to the south, uh, we have the, the porphyry that extends and it's open to the south. Um, it represents a big target. Our current resource is within about a 2.3-kilometer uh, strike. Now, the, it's also opened or appears to be open to the south a further two kilometers. Mm-hmm. We, we built a, a road during the summer so that we could drill year-round on that porphyry. And in when, when we built the road, uh, we actually intersected uh, bedrock when we were building it, a couple hundred meters of bedrock. Uh, we sampled that bedrock, and as it turns out, that porphyry is anomalous uh, in gold uh, to the south. So it represents to us a, a, a quite a good target for us to grow our resource base from three million ounces to something we hope to be, uh, you know, a lot larger still. Right. So you had some gold mineralization in the porphyry to the north, and it's just now that you know that it's mineralized to the south, right? You That's can, correct. We've so had geophysics, which yeah. which determined or helped us determine that the porphyry extended to the south. There was some historical drilling done many, many years ago by previous groups that were looking for the high-grade lenses to the south. When we went back and re-logged that core uh, just last summer, um, what it turned out was, yes, that uh, that porphyry is anomalous in gold. As I say, we cut that, and those holes were drilled really far to the south, like two kilometers to the south. The road we just put in is probably a couple hundred meters to the south of mm-hmm. mineralized. So, you know, our inference would be that that porphyry is anomalous, it seems to be over that entire distance. Yeah. Now so we need to drill it to, to, to determine, you know, what it looks like, the size, if there's any higher grade pieces within it, etc. Yeah. Any, uh, do you, have you established a budget yet for that, or is that something you're still in the process no, of doing? No, I, uh, I have, uh, I have a budget for it. In, in, uh, Quebec right now, I want to say all in for us, uh, costs are about $140, uh, dollars per meter, mm-hmm. uh, drilled. And we've got a 25,000 meter, uh, program that we've, uh, put together, uh, and the cost on that would be just a little bit north of $3 million. Oh, very, uh, 
very manageable then. And, uh, of course, I suppose as you go, uh, if, if you get some good numbers, even in a horrible market, it might move your stock a penny or two. Yes. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's correct. The, Let me uh, ask you. The, uh, uh, we we want to do that program. We're, we're targeting it to, to kick it off uh, late January, it looks like. Um, so 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 yeah it's it's clearly we're we're excited about it we want to get moving on it and my experience with the mining space is it's it's always you know drill results and you know and technical work which ultimately you know moves your share price or creates value for your shareholders Absolutely. And speaking of technical uh, work, what about metallurgy? Because that's always such an important aspect to a project. Has there been any metallurgical work done on this project yet? There has been. The If you look, the indicated resource that you mentioned, the 238,000 ounces, mm-hmm. that's principally located in the Douay West de, you know, uh, deposit, um, which is about 200 meters west of the western extension of the porphyry. Uh-huh. Uh, so we've done the metallurgy on the Douay West. Recoveries were between 93 and 95 percent. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, pretty pretty typical recoveries. Um, so we know we can recover that, that gold. That Douay West, that 238,000 ounces, um, if you look at it, that's near three grams. That's uh, Doable by a small, high-grade starter pit. I mean, a three-gram starter pit would be is a fantastic starter pit, um, and the metallurgy has been done. We haven't done the metallurgy on the porphyry yet, although, and and we intend to. I have a proposal from a metallurgist to do the program for us. It's a it's a, a, a modest preliminary program. Uh, some bottle roll tests. Uh, $25,000, I think, is what it is. We're going to do that on the porphyry, but, you know, given the proximity of the porphyry to Douay West, um, and given what we've seen in the core with respect to the gold and the sulfides, we don't anticipate a problem with metallurgy in the porphyry, but clearly we have to do that work. Okay, uh, just to let our listeners know in terms of infrastructure, I believe you're all set there pretty well, aren't you? Jay, in my, in my assessment, there's probably been $50 million of historical spend on the project, uh, which is, you know, over 650 holes drilled to date, uh, near 200,000 meters of drilling or 200 kilometers of drilling. There is a road uh, all the way to the site. There's power to the site. There's a hoist, a head frame, uh, sleeping facilities, uh, cooking facilities, water, um, power. It's fully set up. And easy to get to. All that uh, I you can have. drive my car from my house here in Toronto to our project and park my car outside of our offices on the project. I can be there in nine hours. It's about a five-hour drive from Montreal. Well, it's uh, it's a really, really interesting story, Rick, and I hope that we can have you back sometime to talk more about it, especially as you start drilling into that porphyry. It's going to get interesting, I think. We are uh, basically out of time. Uh, what's your website so people can follow your your uh, progress, your company's progress? It's orvistagold.com, and that's A-U-R-V-I-S-T-A gold.com. Harvestagold.com. It's really excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, Three million ounces and counting. 
And it seems to me that uh, that's the, you're the kind of story uh, that some big guys are going to be uh, find interesting sometime, especially if you can expand those numbers a bit more. Rick, I want to thank you very much for being with us. Jay, and, thank uh, you for your time. Look, I appreciate it. Look forward to having you again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thanks right. so much. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some thoughts about today's show. I'm going to summarize the things we talked about and then also let you know what we'll be doing over the next couple of weeks. We'll be on holidays, uh, Christmas and New Year's for our next two shows. So don't go away. I'll be right back. I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside, in my view, for these shares is major. Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest multinational nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. Bravada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Riverside Resources is a mineral exploration company focused on making big discoveries and is advancing a strong portfolio of gold, silver, and copper properties in the Americas. Riverside owns commanding land packages near active mines and deposits where new discoveries have been efficiently developed. Riverside Resources is exploring Mexico, a country with a rich mining history and an even more promising future. Riverside Resources. Knowledge is golden. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I just want to uh, give you a few thoughts about today's show and, and certainly would always appreciate any feedback from you as well. Uh, we did get some feedback last week uh, on the global warming issue. Clearly, that's a, a subject that uh, has hit some raw nerves. Uh, you know, it's not what I want to believe. It's a matter of what is the truth, and I'm trying to find the truth uh, about global warming and I'm trying to find the truth about the gold markets and the silver markets and you know things that we have to deal with every day in our lives and ultimately I think that the sort of far out topic that we talked today about uh, the science of God by Dr. Schroeder uh, 
is also very applicable. I mean, we don't think about it in those terms. Uh, you know, the creator of the universe, does it matter? Yeah, I think it, it probably does, and I'm hoping uh, we might have Dr. Schroeder on again to talk more about, about that, more of the theological side of it, although this show clearly will be will remain and always will remain more on the uh, you know the here and the now the things we need to do to try to make ends meet in a very difficult environment uh, for sure uh, and it's an environment that has become more difficult uh, in terms of judging markets because markets are no longer are, are less and less let's say uh, less and less driven by free market uh, operations it's more and more by political um, controls and it's more and more by central banks manipulation of markets every market that we know of is manipulated uh, simply by the fact that that money is driven into the economy and is distorting all manners of uh, of capital allocation all manners of behavior and this is uh, leading to the disaster I think that is now uh, that the whole Western world is facing and that is basically too much debt relative to income. We've lived beyond our means for generations, uh, for, for several decades, and now the piper has got to be paid. And we're seeing the, uh, you know, the fiscal cliff is evidence of the piper demanding his payment. One way or another, the living standards of the West is going to go down. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, but at the same time, we, uh, we you know we we look for opportunities, and I think Chris Cooper uh, of Airway has uh, given us some things to think about uh, with um, with Airway Energy. It's certainly a, a good little company that keeps growing and growing its earnings, uh, selling at forty three cents. Certainly worth a look, I believe, because I think Chris is going to have this company growing very nicely. Uh, just uh, picked off three hundred barrels a day at uh, for a song and a prayer, virtually a nine. A nine-month payout on that investment, and uh, with a 20-year life—not too—not too shabby, in my view. Uh, Dr. Gerald Schroeder, what a delight! I really enjoyed talking to him. He's just a very, very nice man, brilliant man, a brilliant scientist, a nuclear physicist who uh, was involved, was a professor at MIT, and did his PhD at MIT. Witnessed uh, nuclear bombs going off in the days when they were being tested in America. Uh, now uh, living in Israel and working, but his knowledge of theology, which is really makes him rare, is that he has an extremely thorough knowledge of theology as well as uh, as, as well as science. Uh, Alistair McLeod, always brilliant in terms of his insights into the gold markets and explanation of how they work. I thought I thought he did an extremely good job today in explaining uh, some of the. Some of the things he's seeing in the gold and silver markets, and Rick Adams of Aravista, who we just talked to a few moments ago. Aravista Gold is a company that I've invested in. I love it because I think it has great deal of upside potential. All the juniors are really getting hit hard now. I think this could be the opportunity, a very good opportunity, not without risk, uh, but certainly an opportunity. Well, next week uh, and the following weeks, we're going to be doing replays. Next week, we're going to have James Turk and Robert Prechter on. And the following week on uh, New Year's Day, Rick Durfee uh, and Roger Conrad to talk about income uh, producing opportunities. There will be replays from previous shows uh, because those are on holidays the next two Tuesdays. In closing, I want to thank the staff at Voice America, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Wiedemer, uh, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.